So we went to San Francisco for Gabe's birthday. Yeah. And I lived there. Oh, I lived. I like went to school there for a year for my freshman year of college. Um, yeah. But there was like nobody there, which like makes sense for like the pandemic and everything. But it was just mm-hmm. so empty and so different compared to when I was there like 12 years ago. And yeah. We walked through Chinatown, and it was, like, the first two stores by Dragon's Gate were, like, there. And then, literally, everything else was closed down. And, like, there was one restaurant that was reopening and one coffee shop that was, like, new and, like, you know, trendy. But, like, they had, like, the, like, Asian pergola, but it was, like in like pink and gold and it was like very like instagrammy and it was just so sad it was just so sad that like everything was just like empty and desolate and closed down yeah i don't i haven't been well that's a lie i I went back to san francisco in october Uh um and it was very much like that in a sense i mean i feel like there was a lot of people ignoring the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic mm-hmm. <laughs> but um uh yeah like it was very sad to see like i mean i mean i went to school in san francisco i was there for f- almost four years mm-hmm. and yeah it was like my favorite spots that i would go to were just either closed down like there's one of the taco places that we always went to was just like like not reopening because Uh, of everything that's going on. So it was pretty, pretty sad. Um, But I feel like it's going to take a long time for things to get back to like the way they were mm -hmm. like economy wise. But I feel like we're slowly inching towards that um, now that, yeah. you know, there's more people but being even vaccinated. Like, Did you get a shot? You got your shot, I got right? Johnson & Johnson, yeah. Oh, wow. Were you sick that day? You know, not really. Like, I was tired and I kind of napped, but I also nap every day. Well, I don't have a job, so that wasn't... I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> you nap every day? Well, not every day, but usually I, like, write in the morning and then, like, my brain is so fried by the afternoon that I have to yeah. take, like, a 30-minute nap. So... wow i wish that i was and it's not even the fact that you nap every day i'm jealous that you can nap i can't nap well like i can't sleep at night when i nap but there i have no okay (laughs) between jobs i have nothing no reason yeah sounds so like morbid but like i have nothing to wake up for so like (laughs) (laughs) i totally get it i totally get it but i'm just like not a person that can nap yeah like, I lay down and I can think, I think of, like, the most random things that keep me awake. I usually And then I watch, just, I can't settle my brain. Yeah. I usually watch Sims YouTube videos of, like, people building Sims houses. And I find it so, mm. like, soothing that I just fall asleep. Mm. But I'm also interested. So then I have to rewatch it when I wake up to see how they build it. Yeah. I guess I feel like that about cooking shows. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I like cooking videos. Like that's what I do before I go to bed. Mm -hmm. Like my favorite thing is to like go on like, you know, foodnetwork.com and watch their Food Network, like, you know, 60 second videos. Did you see that they're going to do 
a new chopped but Martha Stewart rules? No, I did. Well, yeah, I thought she was on the show now, but I didn't know that oh, there was like a. Is this old news? Might be old news. I just found that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think she's on the show as like a judge, oh, but okay. I didn't know that there was like a Martha Stewart like. I said it, and as I was thing. saying it, I was like, I could be remembering this wrong. Yeah, but it anyways. could be from. I mean, I when I started rewatching Chopped, she was on it, and um, you know what? I I don't really care about her being on Chopped. I want her and Snoop Dogg to have a cooking show. They did. It was called Potluck. Yeah, but like on TV, they yeah. weren't just doing like videos. No, I thought it was a real show. Oh my god, I need to watch it. They need to like get high and then I think... make like food. Or wait, make the food first and then get high and eat it. <laughs> I never watched it, but I think you should check it out because somebody might have stolen your idea years oh, ago. Oh, damn. I hate that. <laughs> I really, really do. I hate when that happens. Uh, that's all right. Um, You're so creative yeah. and wonderful. Oh, thank you. You're so supportive. Um, so I think you're when you were just talking about, you know, the, um, being in San Francisco and like the Asian community and like being there was like a perfect segue into my story this week when you first started talking about it i was like oh my gosh is she gonna tell like a a story about you know something that happened while she was there and it's gonna like but it's kind of perfect because i do have a story this week um and uh in I was just, when I was trying to find a case for, just cases in general for this season, you know, I was really trying to find, you know, I always do this anyway, but I I just tried to find a story that, like, nobody's heard of Mm -hmm. until something else happened. Right. And kind of the opposite happened here. So, obviously, um, recently the uh, murders that happened in Atlanta um of the i think it was a nail salon massage was it a nail salon parlor it was a massage parlor yeah yeah. um so as i was kind of just like searching through this case popped up um and there's no like direct connection obviously with the victim and what happened in atlanta but it's this case came up from the 80s Mm. that is that has been talked about now even more so now because of what happened in atlanta Mm -hmm. so this week i'm going to tell the story on behalf of vincent chin In 1982, Vincent Chin, a Chinese-American draftsman, was at the Fancy Pants Club in Detroit. Uh, He was there celebrating his bachelor party. He was uh, about to get married in eight days. Oh, no. Um, Yeah. Uh, At the same club was a uh, Chrysler Motor plant supervisor. His name was Ronald Ebbins and his stepson, Michael Nitz who was also in the Chrysler uh, 
motor industry. Uh, he was an auto worker, but he just got laid off. Um, the fight, there was a fight that ensued during, between these, th- the, these three men because Vincent overheard Ronald Evans make an offensive remark to one of the strippers that were at, was at, dancing at his table. Um, so according to the Detroit Free Press, Evans said, quote, don't pay any attention to those little fuckers. They wouldn't know a good dancer if they'd seen one, end quote. Other reports say that he also got up and said, quote, it's because of you little motherfuckers that we're out of work, end quote. Um, It's also been disputed that he made other racial slurs to them, um, but obviously there's Mm -hmm. no way to confirm that. So, um, but that's basically how this started. Mm -hmm. Evans was making remarks, you know, to uh, Vincent's table with his friends at the strip club. So Vincent walks up and punches Evans right in the jaw. Okay. Um, which I'm like, all right. I feel <laughs> like if you're going to, whether you said racial shit anyway, you're being an asshole. Mm-hmm. So you should be punched in the face for being an <laughs> asshole, in my opinion, but whatever. So this fight escalates. Um, Nitz, who is Evans' uh, stepson, he steps in. He shoves Vincent. He's trying to defend his stepfather. Um, but by this time, the three men are in like a full on brawl on the full on the floor. And there's other patrons just kind of like trying to break up the, the fight and as well as Vincent's friends. Um, Nitz uh, ba- basically in- inserts himself into this fight because it was kind of in between just Evans and, and Vincent at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's just like he was just trying to get involved. Um, so he suffers uh, a pretty big like gash on his head because someone threw a chair at him oh (laughs) which i'm like (laughs) okay uh but so after this kind of fight was broken up uh ebens and nitz are kind of brought into the back bathroom area to be you know for them to like tend to his wounds i guess Mm -hmm. um and vincent and his friends go outside so um then Robert, I, I'm going to say his last name wrong, but Robert Sororski, I think that's how you say it. Mm-hmm. He is one of um, Chin's or Vincent's friends. And he is outside with the, with Vincent and everybody, but comes back inside to use the bathroom. And he basically runs back into uh, Evans and his stepson and he apologizes, you know, on behalf of the group. He's like, listen... I'm sorry, this is just, we're here celebrating Vincent's bachelor party and we've we've had a few drinks and this just escalated, didn't need to get, so he's basically just like trying to Whoa, cool the water. Whoa, not what here. I would have expected. No, not at all, not at all. Um, but this really doesn't work. So he, he tries to go in and kind of like, you know, settle the waters mm-hmm. and just like, okay, listen, this is no big deal. Like, we'll just squash this. Um, but, uh, Ebens and his stepson had also been drinking, but it's reported that at this club itself, they didn't sell alcohol. So whatever alcohol that was consumed was consumed before they got there. Mm. So there was like no continuing drinking. Like I can, I can see like you going out and you're getting drunk and then you go to a strip club. But like, if you're not continuing drinking, you're kind of like settling down. I mean, at this in, point, like, I think. unless they quote unquote don't sell alcohol and then yeah that's true that's true you know whatever happens happens yeah 
Um, so, uh, now Jimmy Choi, he comes back in as well from, from Vincent's group to try to find, uh, Robert who is there trying to like apologize. So he uses the bathroom. They both use the bathroom, but now at this point, Evans and Nitz exit the club and Robert and Jimmy are still inside. Mm -hmm. So Vincent and his, the rest of the group are outside waiting for, Jimmy and okay. Robert to come outside, but then Vince or Evans and Nitz come back back outside, and now it just starts back up again. Like the whole fight starts back up again. Um, but now Evans has gone to his stepson's car and finds a baseball bat, and he chases Vincent and the rest of his friends outside out of the parking lot. Mm. Um, now they are searching the neighborhood for thirty minutes. They even pay somebody $20 to help them find Vincent and his friends. Oh, my God. Which, again, at this point, I'm like, okay, it's been 30 minutes after, like, and like you said, they could be still drinking in the club. Yeah. But it's just like, how are you still angry? Well, you just got laid off. There's like, it's obviously not about whatever happened in the thing. It's like his whole manhood's at stake. You know. Yeah, which is like I feel like if women, this would be like oh. we would have had a fight and we would have just moved Wait. on. You know, <laughs> like I just don't. Oh, I thought you were going to say this is... if women acted on our rage like this, the whole world would be burned. Oh down. yeah. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But I'm I'm just thinking like I've been out at a club or wherever, and yeah. like yeah, there's been like cat fights or whatever, however you want to call it. But, like, we don't go searching for the, like, for them for, for hours after. Like, I just feel like it's just such yeah. a man thing for this to continue yeah. on for for this long. Crazy. You know? Yeah. Like, you already had your fight. Like, get, o- get over it. Like, move on. So um, they end up finding them at a McDonald's. So Vincent sees them and he tries to run. Wait, sorry. That's... This is not funny, but they just like went to had this huge fight and then went to McDonald's because they're drunk. And yeah. Wanted to burn. Yeah. That's I mean, not funny. me <laughs> when I'm drunk. No, I understand where your, your laughter is coming from. One, because that would be my first craving if I was just like real <laughs> fucked up in the middle of the night. And, you know, you just go to a McDonald's or like Wendy's yeah. would be my Wendy's would be my choice. But definitely. <laughs> having some sort of fast food yeah yeah you need some sort of fried food in order to like settle yourself but that this just shows to me that like vincent and his friends were like done they're like okay this shit happened we're over it we're moving on like and not even thinking that they're like somebody's hunting them down someone's still yeah like hunting them Mm -hmm. basically Mm -hmm. so vincent sees them he runs he tries to escape And uh, they end up catching up with him. And Vincent is held down by his uh, Evans stepson. And while Evans is beating him repeatedly with the with the baseball bat, (sighs) he beats him so badly that his skull cracks. open. Oh, my God. And according to Wikipedia, there was a police officer there that witnessed the entire attack. And this police officer stated, quote, Ebbins was swinging the bat like he was swinging for a home run. Like, that's how hard he was he was hitting him in the head. I have a couple questions. Okay. There's a police officer there who Mm -hmm. saw that 
and there was enough force mm-hmm. and enough times to crack a skull open. Mm-hmm. What the fuck yeah. were they doing? Eating chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> what the actual hell? Yeah. So um, Vincent is rushed to uh, Henry Ford Hospital. Um, a nurse comes out and tells Vincent's friends that he has no chance. Oh my god! Pretty much. Um, a week and then before she says, his quote, wedding. His yeah, four days before his wedding. Four days. Oh yeah, because well, this was a week before his wedding, but um, the nurse says that he's brain dead. So, but then Vincent spends four days in a coma. Oh, so he didn't actually die right away. But she she says oh. to his friends like, "There's really no chance. He's brain dead." So he spends four days in a coma uh, before he succumbs to his injuries, and he dies on June 23rd, 1982, four days before his wedding. Oh, my God. Yeah. I it's absolutely tragic. imagine that. Oh, I know. Oh, my God. Uh, and I couldn't find the wife's or, you know, his fiance's name. And this could be because it's 1982 yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But uh, I did find an article. Um, I think it was the in like the Detroit one of the Detroit papers. But you have to pay to see these, the I, you know. Yeah. And I was like, and there was an article written, and I think it was like I don't know if it was written by her or if it was written with an interview with her, but it was basically like you know her husband was taken from her four days before the mm-hmm. wedding, and they had this like small article with a picture of the two of them, uh. and I couldn't see it because they make you and like I would have totally paid the whatever free trial amount, but you can't like you have to subscribe for a right. year, yeah. And I was like, I don't want to subscribe to a year of a Detroit paper. <laughs> I know for, for one story. So, I will say um, to be to be tacky for a minute here is <laughs> if you listeners make sure to subscribe and rate us and give us reviews and send us to all your friends and get more people listening then we can actually have money coming in to pay to get you the full story yes that's true very true yeah if you do all that we we might be able to break down these firewalls (laughs) yeah yeah it's so upsetting because i wanted to be able to like name her so yeah um, so I, I just want to, you know, go back and just talk a little bit about Vincent. Mm-hmm. Vincent Jen Chin was born, uh, May 18th, 1955, um, in China. And he was actually adopted by his parents, um, from a Chinese orphanage in 1961. Um, so when he was six years old, his father, um, Bing Hing, Chin, um, also known as David Chin, that's his American name, and his mother, Lily Chin, um, adopted him when he was six. Um, His father earned the right to bring um, his Chinese bride into the U.S. um, because he served in World War II. And Lily, um, in 1949, she suffered a miscarriage, so she was no longer able to have children. So that's why when they got to the U.S., they, uh, or in 1961, they adopted um, Vincent. 
Um, and uh, through the 60s, uh, Vincent grew up in Highland Park. Um, and in 1971, his father uh, was mugged. Mm. So they moved out of Highland Park, Michigan, and they moved um, to Oak Park, Michigan. Sorry. Um, Vincent graduated from Oak Park High School in 1973. Um, and he was going on to study control data at, um, oh, I'm sorry. He was going on to study at the control data Institute. Um, and he was employed at the time, uh, in 1982 as an industrial draftman and a draftman is basically an engineering techni- technician. And he basically does like drawings or like plans for machinery. Mm-hmm. And they use, I mean, now they use like much more technical software, like computer software um, to like design their sketches. And I I think that he did as well, but like he was, you know, really good at like drawing up plans. He's basically like a, um, like an architect Mm -hmm. for the auto industry. Um, So he worked as a draftman at Efficient Engineering, um, which was an automotive supplier. and he also worked on the weekends because apparently having the knowledge to be a fucking engineer was still not enough money to like live at that time. So he was also be- he was a waiter at a um, at a restaurant in Ferndale, Michigan, called Golden Star. And he was um, supp- he was engaged to be married on June twenty eighth. So he, but he sadly passed before that. Or, you know what? No, he sadly was murdered Mm -hmm. before that. Um, So here's why, pretty much. Which I don't... Like, there's no fucking excuse for, like, beating somebody to death with a baseball bat. But here's the the reason why it happened. So in the 80s, the uh, U.S. auto industry was facing a recession. And um, that obviously impacted jobs across the entire country. Um, and there was a lot of automotive, uh, workers that were on unemployment at the time. Um, and, but at the same time, the presence of the Jap- Japanese auto manufacturers was growing in the U S mm-hmm. so, um, and Detroit was known as like the capital of the automotive, um, industry at the time. And they, um, were considered like the the powder keg, which I, I was like, like, okay, they're the powder keg of racial animosity towards Asian Americans because of this. Huh. And, um, you know, many of the U.S. automotive workers blamed the Japanese um, car manufacturers for their lack of jobs. So That's interesting that they're like, this is where it all started. And it's like, yeah. Well, Oh, ooh. exactly. Yeah. Like how about it, like all of history. How about yeah. the internment camps? How about the Chinese workers building the railroad? Like, yeah, well, okay, that's okay. that's literally the backbone of this country is I that know. you take you, you're pissed at, at that you don't have jobs, but then you don't want to do the jobs that the people like yeah. actually who built this country and you don't want to give them the credit for it. Yeah. Like, you know, but 
And again, that's why I was just like, this is just to give you the like the background of where this hatred is coming from. Not that it's mm-hmm. like valid or, or warranted in any way. It's just like, this is why these assholes are assholes. Right. Um, so um, like so they were blamed the Japanese, you know, people who are working the Japanese people who were working in this industry were blamed for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, basically how this started was because the U S was importing um, via like the manufacturers were importing into the U S but it was basically declining the Detroit big three and the Detroit big three were general motors, Ford motor mm-hmm. company and Stellantis North America, AKA Chrysler, which oh. is where uh, uh, Ebens was working at the time. Uh-huh. So, you know, all of these, all the people that in the automotive industry that were working for these three companies, the big three, were laid off because of the recent imports from Japan. And um, this is where when... Evans said to Vincent that he was responsible for them losing their jobs. He was referring to the Japanese auto industry and Mm -hmm. particularly because Chrysler at the time um, had an increase of sales from, for the Mitsubishi models uh, in Mitsubishi model cars, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. were then rebadged and sold under Dodge and and they're now the Plymouth brand of cars owned by Chrysler. My head is spinning. I know. I'm it's not a little, following. It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> but basically, like with all of this, it was Mitsubishi or the Jap- some Japanese companies were selling models and plans to these big three companies. So they didn't need the workers that were actually working for oh, these companies because okay. they were already outsourcing and getting that in all that information and all those plans and you know, all that motor motor crap that they do, they were getting Uh it from Japan, probably getting it cheaper. And that's why they were laying off most of their, um, their American workers because of that. But, Mm -hmm. and I say American loosely because these Japanese people (laughs) who were born in America are fucking American. So it doesn't matter. And because they work for these companies doesn't mean that they are responsible for their loss of jobs. Who's actually responsible for their loss of jobs is their company or the people who run their company who are outsourcing to other countries who are making these business decisions decisions that are affecting that are affecting you. Exactly. And they're doing it because they're getting it cheaper and Mm -hmm. you won't work for cheaper. So really, who is the culprit here? It's not. The Japanese workers. It's capitalism. It's capitalism. Yes. It all comes back to capitalism. (laughs) So um, Mitsubishi was one of the top um, Japanese models that is now sold. I mean, you see Mitsubishi's all over the place. Like they're now Mm -hmm. sold in uh, in and around the U.S. Um, And this specific situation is what caused... um, Eben's nephew, Michael Nitz, to be laid off from Chrysler in 1979. I could not find anywhere that said that Eben's was laid off. He was still working. 
at the time. Wait, so when you were saying like in the beginnings he was just laid off, you were talking about Nitz four years previously laid off? Um, was it four years? Let me see. You said seventy nine just now and this was eighty two. Yes. Or three years? Yes. So he was laid off in 1979, and 1982 was when this happened. Oh, wow. I thought it was, like, that day. No. No, no, no. Because they were... the auto. This was something that was happening already in the auto industry. Mm-hmm. They were in a recession at the time, so this was something that was already happening. And I could not find anywhere that said that Evans was still... Was laid off as well. He was still working. He... Michael is the only one that I've ever seen in any of my research that said that he was a former employee of Chrysler. So, and Evans was like a manager or something? Yeah, he was, um, he was the uh, plant supervisor at, at, at Chrysler Motors. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not on his side. Of course. I'm going to sit, like walk down his like, feelings or like my understanding of his feelings yeah as a plant supervisor he's probably one of the people that has to Mm. lay off or make choices about who to lay off he sees his stepson laid off he sees yeah like the bigger picture of what's going on and there's probably a lot of stress and a lot of personal responsibility that he feels yeah for that and uh because of all that, would have been a perfect candidate for therapy. Oh, yeah. For sure. For but I don't know. Sure. Like, in 7982, yeah. that's, like, hippie shit. Yeah. So. Oh, definitely. And even now, people are so... There's a lot of people who are just opposed to, to seeking help. And, yeah. you know, and that's the bottom line, is that especially when you know people in your life that are struggling, like, to suggest therapy to them feel like they feel very you know it's loaded it's definitely loaded and it's also like the knowledge of like it could make it worse Mm -hmm. before it gets better rather than just like making it better automatically yeah and like the way you've been existing right now is like you've Mm -hmm. been surviving so to get worse yeah puts is scary and i get and to be vulnerable you have to be yeah honest you have to be able to like literally lay all your shit out on the table in front of somebody Mm -hmm. you don't know of course it's going to be hard but yeah yeah, I never considered that you know even though he was still employed that because he was a supervisor he had you know and not that I'm on his side but yeah but like you know because I don't understand yeah someone can do that no no not at all but it's all it is you know, I, it, like that is can take an emotional toll on someone. Not that yeah. it justifies what he did, but no, I no because I get in it. no way did it have anything to do with Vincent. Exactly, exactly. And so like, now to to say that, um, you know, there's no excuse for them leading like basically hunting Vincent down and his friends because like they're kind of idiots That's- because Vincent was Chinese. Yeah, well, you can't expect exactly, a but like grown American man. Exactly, but it's just like that's the problem here. That is the right. problem that we're now seeing, and I hate saying now seeing. It's very, it's been very present and in everybody's faces yeah. for a long time. It's just being recorded now, but you know, Vincent was Chinese, and he like I don't know if 
and again, I couldn't find this in my research, but I don't even know if Ebens and Nitz knew that he worked in the auto industry. Like no, they didn't know it him. Doesn't matter exactly. He wasn't a person to them. Yeah, he was just a symbol of everything that was going wrong in their own lives. Mm-hmm. Which is why I don't. This whole dehumanized him. You know this quote unquote trial that happened. And I always do that when I hate the outcome. I always call it like a quote unquote (laughs) trial. Like there was a legit trial, but when it doesn't go the way I want it to go, I'm always like, this wasn't a real trial. Um, But you know, it's, it's not, they didn't, they didn't know that he was in the auto industry. They mistakenly thought he was Japanese. He's not. And they just made an assumption and were automatically angered. Like, even before the fight happened, he said, you're the reason that Mm -hmm. we're out of jobs. And it's like, but you don't even know. He's not responsible. How do you know? He could be a fucking baker. Like, you don't know if he... It doesn't matter. (laughs) It didn't matter in their minds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Vincent's friends said that before he lost consciousness after being beaten by Evans and Nitz, uh, he whispered three words to them, and they were, it's not fair. And then he lost consciousness. He was buried the day after he should have been married. Oh, my God. Terrible. Absolutely horrific. Um, So Evans and Nitz were arrested, Um, and taken into custody that night by the two off-duty police officers that were there who witnessed the attack. Okay, you did one thing. Yeah. Um, And they were both charged with second-degree murder, but obviously they were able to get that down to manslaughter. What? Yes. And of Even course, second degree, I'm like, what? Exactly. Well, I think first degree, it has to be premeditated. Okay. And I guess. So hunting them down doesn't count as premeditated? Um, according to what I read, no, because their intention was not to kill him. It was just to beat him up. Mm-hmm. So that's why they can only get secondary murder, even though they did hunt him down. Even though they just got manslaughter. But they basically plead it down to manslaughter. And of course they plead gets guilty in 1983. Uh, <laughs> if you're pissed off about that, just wait. Okay. Oh so no. they are ordered to pay $3,000 and serve three years of probation. No jail time. Are you shitting me? No. And they still, because it was not a part, because they weren't going to prison and they were ple- they were pleading guilty to a manslaughter charge, they never had to admit to wrongdoing at all. So they didn't. They denied the brawl. They said that the cli- the the fight that they had was not racially motivated, and that they didn't use any racial slurs at all. So they only pled guilty to manslaughter. Yes, and they. Were fined three thousand dollars. Everything else doesn't matter. Yeah, they were fined three thousand dollars plus court fees, and three years of probation. They did not serve a day in jail. Um, and the after the sentencing, obviously everybody was just. I mean, how could you not 
be pissed about something like this. Like yeah. it was witnessed by two police officers. There were countless witnesses to the actual fight yeah. and nothing. They were just given a slap on the wrist. Really? Literally a, a slap on the wrist. I'm, I'm speechless. Me too. Cause it's like, it's like I, we have talked about so many cases where like nothing comes of it and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And even like, you know, in the world we're living in today where there's cries for defunding and abolishing the police. And mm-hmm. then, you know, you fall either on either side, either like you're pro-police and police are the best things ever and you should listen to cops. Yeah. And you're Simon and Schuster is publishing yeah. a friggin' book about one of the guys that murdered Breonna Taylor. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, and gonna make or, fucking a serious amount of money on it. Yeah. And then... Oh, you, but, like... I'm I'm having trouble like articulating, mm-hmm. but like so even even to like the Blue Lives Matter cop people whatever those equivalent was in the '80s, which is probably like everyone mm-hmm. except for people of color. Um, what there's there were two cops that witnessed it, and that's still not enough. No. No. <sighs> and it doesn't like that's the thing like. <sighs> And I, it's so hard for me too, because I'm like, the solution, like everybody has their solution as to how this violence against people who are just not white is, you know, a lot of people are like, we have to defund the police to stop the police from shooting black people. Um, and Asian hate means that all these white people just need to stop being hateful towards people. But it's it's literally just if you look different, mm-hmm. if you look different than me, mm-hmm. I don't like you. I, well, I can yeah. just treat you like the scum that on the bottom of my fucking shoe because Mm -hmm. you don't look like me. You don't have the same, you don't get the same treatment like me because you don't look like me. And I don't know if there's, there's really even a clear answer as to like, yeah, abolish the police. That means something different than many people think. But like in this situation, these white men are mad at the wrong people. Yeah. I want to go back. just there's no way to really put a name or title on that. You know? Wait, what do you mean? Like, these people, like, they're mad at Asian, like, in this, in uh, pertaining to this case, he's mad at the wrong person. Vincent and Chinese and Japanese didn't take their jobs away. Just like people are mm-hmm. like, well, the Mexicans are taking our jobs. That's like you are mad at the wrong people. Mm-hmm. And th- I just don't feel like we we can say abolish the police. That's going to stop police officers from being able to kill black people for no reason. But in this situation, there's no title for that. <laughs> it's like just stop yeah. blaming people for for having well, a different skin color or a different culture than you. It's scapegoating is what it is. Yeah. Because it's the people that are that we should be mad at. Yeah. Is the capitalists and mm-hmm. i'm friggin you know sound yeah. like a hippie yet again but like it's <laughs> it's really like those are 
the that's what's fueling all of these decisions mm-hmm. is it's coming down to money and then so that the workers don't rise up and that the the working class don't realize that they're being taken advantage yeah. of you're shoved somebody that's different yeah. than the people being affected and so you can be mad at that it's yeah. like race you capitalism using racism for their benefit yeah. which is the definition of of the fucking white supremacist system mm-hmm. and country that we all live in yeah. and i want to go back really quickly and acknowledge something that i said i said that um in the 80s or i was talking about um all lives matter cop blue lives matter kind of thing and i said everyone except people of color were pro-police which is centering whiteness and making whiteness the norm so i just want to acknowledge that i said that and that i'm that was wrong of me Mm -hmm. um but uh i am going to do better next time no i and that's the that's what we need from many people to say oh shit that was wrong i thought something you know, I thought, you know, mm-hmm. I just did, I, I wasn't thinking that through. Mm-hmm. And, but, but like, and nobody... recognizing when it's, and it's a system of my mm-hmm. upbringing in a white supremacist system that we are all brought up in. Exactly. And the way I'm training. And it, like, then to break free of that is you got to recognize when you fuck exactly. up. And own not it, many and people, then do better next time. Yeah. And not many people have that same courage. And, yeah, well, you know it's not that hard it's really not it's really not but you know some people are weaker in my you know um so you know this obviously this was just like the asian community was just rightfully so this is absolutely outrageous that you can murder somebody and claim it's not has nothing to do with race and then literally just get off scot-free and it's it's just outrage it's just so ridiculous um the president of the detroit chinese welfare council said well i guess we have an amount for of three thousand dollars licensed to kill uh and he's not wrong no he's not wrong literally putting a price on 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 killing someone uh so um, this, you know, at the time, this didn't really make national news, um, even though it affected the Chinese American community and the Asian community in Detroit, like in such a huge way. It took so much to get this case into like for anybody to really be acknowledging what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there was a lot of like local protests involved but it wasn't like on the news like nobody outside of those communities really would have Mm -hmm. known it was happening um um but curtis chin um i i think he says in this article and i didn't write it down but he does say in this article that his some of his um relatives uh were supposed to be in vincent's wedding so i think they do have some sort of a family Mm -hmm. relation um, and he produced a documentary in 2009 um, called Vincent Who? The Murder of a Chinese American Man. Oof, that's um, a good title. Yeah. Uh, he was, tw- or Curtis was 12 years old at the time. 
um, when the, when the murder happened, but obviously later in life he he decided to make a documentary, um, and he said uh, he was the one that said that this didn't make national news, and he was he wanted to make a documentary that reflected what was really happening in those communities at the time, mm-hmm. even though no one really knew about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the his murder then was like a a turning point for the Chinese Americans and Helen Zia, she's a a Chinese American journalist who, um, she was uh, a part of some of the civil rights activism, uh, that was, that was sparked after Vincent's Mm -hmm. murder. And she said, quote, people knew from personal experience that we were lumped together by non-Asian Americans, but in terms of identifying as a pan-Asian, the key thing was that a man was killed because his murderers thought he was, he looked different, looked like a different ethnicity. Not only that, mm-hmm. but his murderers also got off proba- off with probation. In other words, scot-free. Yeah. Quote. Um, and by 1983, um, there was a larger population of people who could identify or did identify as pan-Asian Americans in that community and joined the protests, um, for their civil rights. Um, and Christine Choi, she's a film pro- uh, professor at NYU Tisch school of arts. She, um, also directed a film called who killed, um, Vincent Chin. And she said, quote, it did really galvanize the anger in these communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I, I did uh, watch a couple clips from both of those films, the documentary. And there was a part where the judge and I, it, it just angers me to even like have to say this again, like to, to just say what he said. Mm-hmm. But uh, Judge Charles Kaufman, wherever you are, I hate you. Anyway, <laughs> he said that uh, he was the one that gave both um he was the one that gave both uh Evans and Nitz the 3 years probation and fined them only $3,000. Mm-hmm. He said later and he said quote they weren't the kind of men you send to jail. <gasps> oh god. He said quote I just didn't think putting them in prison would do any good for them or for the society. You don't make the punishment fit the crime. You make the punishment fit the criminal. End quote. What? <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh-huh. What? I'm sorry. What? What? Yeah. You don't make the punishment fit the crime. You make the punishment fit the criminal. I mean, that tells you everything. Yeah. Right there. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel dizzy. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, wow, what a oh warped sense of like what the world is like, what, how, like, how do you believe that? How? Like, how, how I don't. And I at one point I was like, oh, OK, all right. You want to go there? All right. So how about. All the black people that are arrested for holding a fucking bag of Skittles or sleeping in their bed. I'm sorry. Are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Well, by his logic, they should have been killed. 
Because it fits the criminal, quote unquote. But I'm talking about the people that killed them. Like, if oh. that was the case, like, are you serious? Like, this is just outrage. Like, I'm I cannot I'm believe. S- my brain is so scrambled that from that. I'm like, I can't <laughs> process what you're saying. It is just out. It's just that like, is, oh, that wow. Is, that is. Yeah. That, when wow. I, I read that, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right. Well, here we go. All right. Yeah. I. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Anyway. Wow, 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 wow. So, um, Michigan ra- uh, there was a Michigan radio article written by Benish Ahmed. Hopefully I said your name right. Um, and uh, there was an attorney named James Shimura. Um, and he said, quote, the outcome of this trial still boils my blood. He said, we are all targets. That's the one critical thing that came out of this case. People realized I'm a people realized I'm Asian and it could have been me that night. It raised the consciousness of millions of, of American and Asian Americans in this country. Mm. Um, you know, clearly there was a lot of inaction by the government, but there was also kind of inaction from advocacy groups that you would think would be so behind, you know, what this case means for, for those communities. Um, but, uh, they're the only, um, group that helped like, because there was a lot of like civil liberties and civil rights groups that didn't feel that, Vincent's murder was a violation of his civil rights. And I, I, I'm, I'm trying to still understand why that's like, why they would think that. I don't know if it's because it was the eighties and they were like, well, you know, this wasn't a racially motivated thing or it wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure, but, um, the, the, there was a new group that was um, called the American Citizens of Justice at the time that was the only group that, you know, lent their support in the theory that his civil rights were, um, uh, that this was a violation of his civil rights, and it should be applied to Asian Americans as well. So when I read that part, I was like, okay, is it just the reason, because at that time it was only the black community that they felt could claim that i i don't know Mm. like uh, that's why i'm like i'm not and i'm not really sure like how i feel about that being a black woman i'm like okay i don't understand how you can say like it's just like the minority groups that like i I don't know i don't know i have like yeah it's that it's that feeling of like well we have it worse like we need the attention and once our problem is fixed then we can go to you but in reality in reality, it's like, <laughs> yeah, everybody is treated like shit yeah, by I, white people. Yeah, and, and that's why I'm like, okay, well, does saying and just trying to put myself not in in like what my perspective is, but like in the perspective of these civil rights groups, is it like if we shed light on this? Again, this was the 80s, so I want to say that again, because right now that's mm-hmm. not the case. But 
if we shed light on this or we put that label on here that his civil rights were violated, is that taking away from this other group that is yeah. being targeted way more? Like, that's where I was feeling like it was coming from. And I was like, ah, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. But obviously now it's not like, you know, Asian Americans, black, you know, African Americans, uh, women, like you know, yeah. in general, we're we're all Latinx, indigenous, people, yeah, like, Mexicans, you like, name it, you name it. Anybody that's not white or has a penis is mm-hmm. kind of you know. I feel like our civil rights are are, are violated a lot. Yeah. So, um, uh, so they did do. There was a lot of civil suits, which at the end of the day, kind of got some sort of justice for his family. But um, in 1984, the federal civil rights uh, case against Evans, he was found guilty uh, of the second count and he was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Um, Mm. Nitz was uh, acquitted on both of those counts, but uh, Evans appealed this decision and it was overturned in 1986. Um, (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. And the federal appeals court found that an attorney had improperly coached the prosecution witnesses. So then there was a retrial, um, but it was moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, because the coverage and the publicity of the case was mm-hmm. just too in Detroit. It There was no way he was going to be able to get a fair trial. Mm-hmm. Um so in in Cincinnati in Cincinnati the jury cleared him of all charges in 1987, oh. and um, the but there was a civil civil suit for unlawful death uh, against or of Vincent Chin, uh, and was settled out of court in on March 23rd 1987, and Michael Nitz was ordered to pay five five or fifty thousand dollars to the the Chin family. And Ronald was ordered to pay $1.5 million to the Chin, Chin family um, at $200 a month for the first two years and 25% of his income or $200 a month thereafter, whichever one was greater. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so this... Uh, and basically the reason that they won this case because of the loss of income that they hit his family mm. would have received. So... Uh, and because he was in an engineering position, he it was actually... It all goes back to money. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh. Um, he was in an engineering position, so his his mother, you know, really fought really hard to make sure that she could do something, you know. Um, yeah. And, and not that this money is going to replace the loss of her son, but, you know, at least it's something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, and this is another thing that I kind of have a little bit of satisfaction for, but like, if, uh, Evans doesn't pay them, they are allowed to garnish his social security, his disability and his pension from Chrysler. Oh, um, um, but they, uh, they're not allowed to like take a lien, like his, his home or anything like that. So like, mm-hmm. uh, so Evans then went to court in 1989 to uh, have a creditor's hearing. And it basically was just detailing all of his finances. And uh, he said that he uh, would make good on his debt to the Chin estate, but 
like this was the situation that he was in like basically being like i I can't pay them because i can't afford it kind of thing Mm -hmm. Um, but in 1987, the Chin estate was forced to renew a civil suit and it was allowed to do this every 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and with accrued interest and other charges, the total adjusted amount that he owed them was over $4 million. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Uh, so, and he also, he, <sighs> he, he did... Uh, in 2015, um, like it resulted in a lien against his house, but it was vacated. So that didn't Mm. really do much. Um, and according to the NBC news, a journalist and activist, activist, Helena Zia that I mentioned earlier, uh, said that, um, that Evans now who is 76 years old owes the chin estate more than $8 million due to the interest. But it's like, will oh they God. ever see that money? I don't no. think so. But it's like, does it go who then when he dies? He was 76. Yeah. Like, like who is that debt going to go to? And, you yeah. know, I, I think that it's just this thing that has been like looming over him his whole life yeah. and has impacted him financially. So I kind of feel satisfaction about it. It's just like, OK, you didn't serve time for this senseless murder. But yeah. It has followed him his whole life. Yeah, this is that's an interesting point, because it's like we also, along with abolishing the police, we've seen sort of an uptick in like abolish the prison industrial complex. Mm -hmm. And I haven't read too much about that. I need to look into that more or like what alternative methods of justice are. But this might be one of them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because I mean, it doesn't like he's. Like, and I don't want to say that this is like a, you know, a proper punishment. I, 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 I think that no, yeah, it's not. Know. But, you know, as I've been financially strapped before and <laughs> that feels very prison like, you know, yeah. like it feels very. Well, you li- say that as someone who's never been in prison, but you exactly. What you mean. Yeah. Like it feels <laughs> very, you know, so I, I get the burden that that can put on you. For and now being seventy six and still owing all this money, right. you know, is yeah, it's tough. just it's eight times the amount the original the original <laughs> amount, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, um, I'm stressed out. Yeah, thinking about that. Um, so this is all due to Mrs. Chin, um, Lily Chin, who fought diligently for her son, and um, they said, "quote Some people call." Mrs. Chin, the Rosa Parks of of Asia, um, Asian Americans, and she wow. was indeed. She stood up and refused to accept what was handed to her. End quote. Nice. Uh, in September 1987, uh, Lily Chin she moved from Oak Park back to her hometown in China. Um, it does list her home cha- her hometown, but I don't want to say it and ruin it. So I'm just going to say her hometown in China. Um, uh, she did this because she, it was just like too hard to live there. Yeah. Uh, it was a very, it, just being reminded of the tragedy was just too hard for her. Yeah. Um, she did return back to the United States for medical treatment in 2001. Um, and she died on June 9th, 2002. Mm. Uh, but prior to her death, she did establish a scholarship in Vincent's name, in Vincent's memory. 
um, and it it's administered by the American Citizens for Justice, the only um, mm-hmm. organization that supported uh, that his civil rights were violated. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, this is like this whole case. I found this case because of the recent murders in Atlanta. Um, Kristen Choi, she's a pioneer uh, at the Asian American Independent Cinema. She's um, a film uh, professor. Uh, She said, quote, Vincent Chin was mistaken as Japanese. We easily could be interchangeable for the gunman who shot the shot up the uh, in Atlanta. I think she Mm -hmm. meant to say I think it says nail salon. I think it was a nail salon. I think he went to a, a, a couple, couple places. places. Okay, yeah. that's why. Um, for the gunman to kill these Asian m- women, I don't think he had had a clue who these people are. There was no course in dealing with images of Asian Americans, period. Mm-hmm. End quote. Oh, she also said, there is a lack of knowledge about Asians and Asian Americans because we've been lumped together. Even though American America engages in long or engaged in long periods of the war with Vietnam, you would you would think any of Americans would understand a thing about Vietnamese culture. Hell no, they don't. End quote. Um, There was a plaque uh, commemorated uh, for Vincent Chin in Ferndale. and it was right on the street where he used to work at the Golden Star restaurant. Um, and he, you know, he worked there part time and they they uh, enacted a, a plaque in his memory. Um, and it's uh, still to this day a meeting place for all the activists of the Asian American mm. community. Uh, we must stop Asian hate. Vincent's murder is just one of many that gets overlooked and underrepresented. Discrimination, racism, and hate towards people that don't look like you is not new. It's not fake. It's real. Stop being selfish. Stop ignoring this. We must open our eyes, open our hearts to these communities, and do whatever it takes to protect them. This week's episode was written and edited by me, Asia Hamilton, with music by Holly Amber Church and social media by Kelsey Groenberg. For pictures and sources, please follow us on Instagram at ontheirbehalf underscore pod and on Twitter at ontheirbehalf underscore. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. On their behalf, thank you for listening.